Wisconsin Public Radio. This is Newsmakers. I'm Ezra Wall in our lacrosse studio. And today we're talking about affordable housing from a couple different perspectives. We're talking about uh, what what people have often called the American dream, that owning your own several bedrooms and a backyard and a white picket fence and all of those things and how inaccessible that is to so many people these days. Also, uh, in terms of just renting your own place or leasing your own place, it's just costs so much money now. And uh, joining us to talk about why that is, what's being done about it, and, and how we can get more people into uh, an affordable home that is up to a standard uh, that that uh, should be acceptable for them are four individuals representing four different organizations in the Cooley region. Uh, Kaya Fox is the executive director of Habitat for Humanity Lacrosse Area. Kaya, thanks for coming to the Newsmakers again. Thank you so much, Ezra. Hetty Brown is the executive director of Cooley Cap. Hetty, welcome. Thank you. Shai Jackson is the co-founder and executive director of Hope Restores. Shai, thanks for coming back. Appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. New to Newsmakers, but I'm very thankful that he's here, is Sam Zhang from Kiyoshia, uh, which I'm told means hopeful. Sam, I think that's wonderful, and thanks for coming to Newsmakers. Thank you, Ezra. So I want to start uh, with Kaya and just talk about. I know you've you've done a a, a lot of uh, a lot of reading on this subject and working on this subject, and and you've helped me uh, in the last couple of weeks understand a little bit better. Like, what is the major challenge? Let's start with home ownership right now. What is the major challenge uh, right now to people in the Cooley region owning their own homes, like like we all kind of expected growing up? Why is that so hard these days? Well, I think um, with the interest rates that dropped over the last few years, which was a direct uh, impact from the pandemic. So we wanted people to be buying things on credit. Um, So we saw the feds drop our interest rates. And what ended up happening is that we saw a very, very rapid increase in housing prices over the last couple of years. Uh, Another thing that played a really important role in this is the cost of goods and services also went up. And so the cost to build and manufacture new homes skyrocketed. And so if you kind of take a look at a graph of what's been happening over the past couple of years, we've seen uh, the increase in our wages at around 4.8-4.9% over the past couple of years on a yearly basis. Uh, we've seen the cost of goods in some instances, including like the wood and, and the windows and the doors that we put into homes, sometimes double and triple in cost. Um, but then we've seen the prices of houses go up 12, 13, 14% over the last few years. So what you're seeing is a really great rise in the value of the goods that we're looking for, where the income that we're earning hasn't been able to keep pace. And so this has been a gap that's been happening since like the 1970s, where the cost of the money that we're, the value of the money that we're making goes up a certain percentage, but all those things that go into owning homes has just skyrocketed over the years. And that gap just becomes wider and wider and wider. And that gap is all of the people then who normally, when our parents were buying houses, could afford home ownership, are now completely left out of the game. So the advice that's always been passed along is just work hard, uh, save up your your down payment, which is, is 20%. Oh my God, 20%. Come on. How can anybody afford that? Um, so so I'm, aside from just that uh, advice being uh, outdated to the point of sounding ridiculous to some people, 
as you're going through your work, like what, what, uh, let's, let's turn to Hetty. What are the, what are the long-term, uh, challenges to people who are, uh, in touch with Cooley Cap about, about, uh, home ownership? First of all, um, in maybe years past, you had other support systems in place for people that may have allowed them to do that. So, for example, the university system is a great example. Um, the state used to subsidize the university system in a larger way. And so college was a lot cheaper at one point in time. So people coming out of college and they got jobs, they had more money to to put back in a savings account. They weren't leaving with such high student loan debt. So a lot of people that we see coming to us, they may have money from a job to make a mortgage payment, but they also are coming in with really, really high student loan debts. We hear that a lot. And so they're not able to get a mortgage. And we cannot uh, ignore just the, uh, the generational um, barriers that have been applied to whole populations of people. Populations of color were locked out of the home buyer market for generations, um, communities disinvested in, and those barriers still exist today. Uh, wealth has not, wealth of home ownership has not been handed down from generation to generation in communities of color. And that means that people that are looking to home buy today they don't have that down payment that they've inherited from their parents or they don't have um, uh, maybe a relationship with the bank because the bank has never pursued a relationship with them. So these are very persistent barriers that we've seen that have that are not just happening this year or the, the previous year, but have been growing over generations. You talked about generational wealth and, and uh, people might automatically assume for a long time in my life, I assumed that was like, rich people passing down their, you know, their big estates to their rich kids and stuff like that. But really, you're talking about something as simple as if my grandparents owned a home, uh, when they pass away, that the value of that home is divided, uh, however they decided to, among their children, who probably by that time also own homes. And then when they pass away, the value of that is passed on to their children. But if none of these people ever became homeowners in the first place, and they were always passing their money in the form of rent to other people, then there's never that opportunity to build anything to pass down. You're exactly right. And whole communities were locked out of that system. Um, and and we're seeing that And not today. accidentally and either, like intentionally. Not accidentally, intentionally. And we're seeing that in great wealth gaps and home ownership gaps between the white population and communities of color. We're seeing that in barriers. Um, that's why we say that home ownership is one of the most effective tools to help a family out of poverty because it is a tool that they can use to build equity and wealth over time that can then be passed down from generation to generation. Shai Jackson is here from Hope Restores. And uh, Shai, we've had you on uh, Newsmakers a couple times talk about different things. Uh, in terms of your organization's work on home ownership, what among the people that you work with every day, what is the barrier to home ownership that you see? You know, it's a lot of what we've already heard from um, Hetty with as far as it like relates to wealth and um, access to loans and things like that. But I do want to take a step back and I want to just acknowledge the fact that 
wealth is more than just tangible, you know, wealth is also something that's, that's a mental space. Also, um, money can be very psychological. Your relationship with money is psychological. So is, you know, the relationships that you have with the people that hold that money, whether it's a financial institution or it's other organizations that might be a resource for you to be a first time, you know, next step into that that process of breaking that um, that pattern within within your own family. So, um, still now today, that's a lot of the same things that we see. Once once a lot of the population that we serve are able to get past that that belief that they can have it, that it's something that's actually not that far out of reach, then comes the next phase for our clientele, which is, okay, how do I find someone that is willing to help me, someone that's going to give me a fair a fair shake, and I, I actually have an opportunity to go about this, because we still see a lot of economic disparities, not just within um, geographic locations, but I mean, just being honest within just the people ourselves, what what we look like within cultures, like we, you know, we we it's difficult to walk in to a financial institution and not be riddled by is this is this decision gonna be strictly based off of what's on that sheet of paper? Because a lot of times, and by a lot, I mean eight out of 10 times, we're seeing that it is not strictly based off of what's on that sheet of paper um, when it comes to people being ready to continue down their their road of home ownership. Um, there's just so many things in place. And I think that with that being a barrier, one of the solutions is going to be, we're going to have to come together and decide as you know, community members, as financial institutions to be partners to address this issue, you know, um, especially if we're going to really start talking about bringing some some equity to some of these economic disparities. I'm not saying, you know, if you are a big corporation, you need to jump on board and say, hey, I'm going to give you a raise for X amount of percentage so that you're able to afford that home. But I am saying that there has to be some type of checks and balances as far as accountability is concerned. Because when two people walk into an institution for the exact same loan with the exact same uh, pedigree or you know financial background, it should be the exact same estimated outcome. That's just not the case. That's not the case at all. And once people are past that first step of even believing that, you know, they can be a homeowner because past generations, you know, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, they hadn't owned one. And so for you to get to a place that, you know what, I can be a first generation homeowner, that doesn't happen with a lot of work and a lot of practice and a lot of positive self-talk. It takes a lot to get there. It really does. And so once that person gets there, we have to make sure that there's things in place that they that they don't lose interest, you know, that they're not so discouraged and they say, oh, such and such was right. I don't even know why I tried. 
So we have to figure out how to come together and partner and partner on the, these things beyond just, well, the expectations are because your expectations is not my reality. And that's, that's the truth for so many of our clients. So, I mean, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this. Yes. Um, it's nothing new. So. <laughs> no, and it, it, it isn't anything new. And your, your organization for people unfamiliar uh, works throughout the Cooley region, uh, primarily with black people and black families in the Cooley region and helping them gain, uh, among other things, uh, economic empowerment. And, uh, and, and there's that long history in the United States of redlining and, and, and other types of things that, 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 that say, you know, black people can't qualify, uh, for loans to live in this neighborhood or, or sometimes even any neighborhood, uh, to own property of their own and all that, uh, sort of thing. So working past that is, uh, it's 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 really interesting to watch how you're helping people do that. Sam, uh, your organization Kiashia works works with the Hmong population in our community, and and uh, I'm wondering, do you see some of these same things that Shai is is talking about when you're working with uh, with with your clients? Yeah, no, definitely. That is a big thing that's you know clients are still struggling with right now till this day. I think that when I think a lot about the accessibility of like them understanding well how to build a credit or understanding um, how it even works to even get a house too, right? I think that there's a lot of uh, discrimination too, right? That comes into play when they even go to the bank and get a loan too, right? Um, and it's a lot of barriers that they uh, don't understand too, right? And with us just being in the States for like 40, 50 years now, um, it's it's been hard like uh, with rent going up too. I've had clients that still are renting till this day, right? And they don't build any equity to even have enough to uh, save for a down payment, right? So it's an ongoing struggle, right? Um, and what's the right house for them, uh, that's an ongoing struggle too, because three, four bedrooms right now, it's still really hard to find. It's really expensive um, for buying or renting, right? So they're forced to move out of the the city, right? Which they lose access to like the, the thing that they need, right, and their community. Shai, you said uh, money is psychological, and you were talking about that uh, that relationship that some people have with money. And I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, but you know, we can observe people who just have a knack for it. Maybe because their parents had a knack for it, or their grandparents were in business, or something like they. These people were just innately born with a different relationship with money than the rest of us. And I say the rest of us because, like, I, I I read financial things in the newspaper or whatever, and I just get confused and I go make my little radio show. But um, but that that's even amplified more when you have when you have uh, people who haven't had generational examples of how to interact in the financial sphere in our communities. What do you tell people to help move them past those barriers? Uh, you talked about positive self-talk. Like, is it is it about like teaching them about like goal setting and steps toward their ultimate goals? Or like, how do you get people in the right frame of mind to be able to engage that way? We all know that we, we can know the right the right choice or the, the right response and still still not do it, right? So it's not exactly like, like they say, when you know better, you do better. No, 
that doesn't always work. And so one of the things that we do is that we we really just help help people to identify like what's the root of that feeling that you have when it comes to money. And we just really kind of walk through there. And then we 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 point it out. Like we all know that money is psychological. We all know that there's an emotional pull to you and your money, especially cash, right? Like your cash, you don't you don't buy as many things when it's in that hard cash form. But when it's invisible like credit, you swipe all day like you're going to get a, a prize at the end of it. And so we really just kind of walk through there. One of the classes that we do is a financial liberation class. And that really walks people through the psychology of that money. And I just want to share one of the things that um, one of the one of the people said that took the class. So we were going through it and she said, you know, I'm just now noticing that whenever I have extra money, it scares me. And so we talked about that. And a lot of that was rooted in her belief system coming up of, well, if it's still there, that means it's extra and you don't you don't really need it. And so it would be it would go towards something else. So saving was never really an option. There was no such thing as saving. And so she was saying, so when I have extra money, my anxiety goes up and I literally feel like it's fire, like it's burning me. So I try to spend it or I give it away. I over gift, you know, with my kids or whatever else. And that's just because she hadn't really walked through what was going on there? What what was the, the thought, the psychology behind that? And so having that and walking through it, there was a lot of self-discovery, but until it became personal in a way that it really truly, truly resonated and it was no longer, you know, your words or Dave Ramsey's words, you know, saying this or that about budgeting and cash is king until it becomes something that's very real for you, nothing else matters. And so that's why it's so important for us to walk through the root of that relationship and then making sure that people know rather good or bad, you have a relationship with money unless you're bartering with goats and that could be it too. But most people are using a U.S. currency. Bartering with goats. I literally <laughs> lost my train of thought because you're over there talking about bartering with goats. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, Hetty, Cooley Cap uh, serves not not uh, just Lacrosse and Lacrosse County, but you're active in uh, other parts of Southwestern Wisconsin as well. Uh, what do you see uh, in in other parts of our listening area? Uh, are there are, are these same difficulties uh, of people finding ways toward home ownership? Do they exist uh, in the in in the rest of your service area as well? The more rural communities. Ezra, no matter where I go, no matter what community I'm in, I'm always told the same thing. We need a more affordable housing. People cannot access affordable housing. Um, and I, I don't want to um, ignore that there are real systems at play here. So no matter what a person does, because we see people every day that are who are resilient, who save money, who do all that they are doing, like like Shai just mentioned, you know, people who are really taking the right steps to make their financial goals happen for themselves. Um, and then the system 
still is broken and they can't operate within it. Um, we have an issue in the Cooley region, just like many other places across Wisconsin in this country. One, we have a shortage of housing, period. Um, the Great Recession tanked to the housing development market and we have not recovered. We do not have enough housing for the number of people who need it, especially housing that is affordable. Um, the number of cost burdened households in our area, it's about a quarter of our po population, um, some more, uh, depending on where you are, is cost burdened in, in our area. Um, so we don't have enough. We also have growth limiting policies in place, like zoning laws that limits the, how we can develop um, the types of housing that can be developed. Um, and so until those policies are changed, we're not going to be able to address the affordable housing shortage. And then we have what I call a growth limiting mindset um, sometimes that we have to, to work through. Um, you know, affordable housing is one of those things that most people, when you talk to them, they can really get behind. I sit in a lot of meetings where people say, Hetty, we need affordable housing. Um, but then when it comes down to putting that affordable apartment unit or a new home in their neighborhood, uh, we start to get different questions. Um, and I understand that because whenever a community or a neighborhood is changing, you know, change is hard. Um, and people may not uh, understand what affordable housing really is and how it benefits the entire community. And by building affordable housing, it can actually reduce urban sprawl and some other negative impacts on the environment and have a, a lot of other benefits to a community. Um, but these are some of the systemic impacts on this problem that until we get um, until we find solutions to these issues, um, no matter how much people save, no matter how, how, how much they work programs that we have available to them, and there are programs, um, we're just never going to meet the need that's in the community. I want to talk about some of those uh, some of those programs that are available. Of course, I want to talk about a lot, and I, I'm watching our minutes quickly tick away. Uh, so we'll we'll step aside for just a moment, and we'll be right back. We'll talk about uh, some of the programs that are available, what resources are available to actually help people. We'll also talk about the skyrocketing cost of rent, and and what people who just are not in a home ownership frame of mind right now can do about also finding affordable places to live. It's Newsmakers from Wisconsin Public Radio, and if you would ever like to get in touch with our show, you can always contact us via email. I'd love to hear from you. Newsmakers at WPR.org. That's newsmakers at WPR.org. We're back in just a moment on Newsmakers from Wisconsin Public Radio. Newsmakers from Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm Ezra Wall and uh, joined today by Kaya Fox from Habitat for Humanity Lacrosse area, by Hetty Brown from Cooley Cap, uh, Sam Zhang from Kiyoshia, and, uh, and uh, Shai Jackson from Hope Restores. And we are talking about affordable housing. We've been talking a lot about home ownership, particularly the barriers that people face uh, in, in home ownership. And Hetty Brown was talking, uh, mentioned some programs that are available. I know uh, each of these organizations uh, represented today uh, offers various ways in which the community uh, can uh, get more information from them and potentially even be served by them by qualifying for something that they're involved in. So let's go around and, and talk about that. Hetty, uh, what kind of what kind of programs are you the most familiar with, and and what exists? 
uh, either through Cooley Cap or through programs that Cooley Cap sort of interacts with that could help people uh, in in terms of home ownership. Home ownership. Yeah, well, Cooley Cap is a HUD certified housing counseling agency, and uh, with that, we operate home buyer um, education programs. Anybody in the community uh, can attend one of our home buyer education programs. Um, so we offer that about monthly information can be found on our website. Um, for income qualified home buyers, we also offer down payment assistance programs. So that includes financial assistance for down payment as well as closing cost assistance. So when people find a home and they need some assistance um, buying that home so that the mortgage will be affordable to, for them, um, that's how that assistance helps. Um, so that information can be found on our website. And what's your website? CooleyCap.org. CooleyCap.org. Kaya, we think about Habitat for Humanity uh, in the in the way that everybody uh, has seen uh, in the news over the years. Volunteer, get a house built. A uh, a qualified uh, homeowner is right alongside you, helping to build the house, and they have a very affordable house at the end of the process. Uh, number one. You could give information about how people could apply to be part of that program. I would imagine uh, very few people actually uh, end up being able to take advantage of that. The sheer numbers of it uh, are pretty remarkable. But how else is is uh, Habitat active in in the affordable housing arena? Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Ezra. So, yeah, absolutely. People who think of Habitat think of the houses that we build with our volunteers and with our future homeowners. And so that's a really beautiful way to kind of help with the issue of affordable housing in our community. But just like you said, you know, we could build a thousand homes and we would probably not meet the needs of our community. Um, and so it's the, it's the idea of, you know, individuals coming together to try and think of solutions that have more of an impact in our community. And so, you know, all the folks that are on the call with us today are members of our advocacy committee, um, which is a group of individuals that are interested in safe and affordable housing for everybody in our community from homelessness through home ownership. And so we work together to try and, and, and make change at the local state level on ways that we can make the development of affordable housing easier, the ways that we can kind of come through some of these barriers that people in our community have when it comes to the development of affordable housing in their neighborhoods, in their communities. And so how can we as individuals kind of move that needle a little bit farther um, than the programs that we operate? And so we've got a lot of really great members of the committee um, that also offer really wonderful services. So the Finding Home program um, is kind of a deep dive for individuals who are looking to purchase a home. So it, it really goes through an individualized program that will give you step-by-step -step, uh, help through a multiple-month partnership um, on how to be a homeowner. Uh, there's also some really great programs out there as far as lenders that will do affordable home ownership loans for people who are low income. So rural development uh, is a wonderful program that uh, can subsidize loans down to as low as 1%. Uh, WIDA in the state of Wisconsin also has some first-time homebuyer programs. So I think it's a there's some education and great resources that are out there for people who are looking to buy a home. Um, but again, you know, I think until we get to the really the root problem of um, some of these other barriers uh, in development and support for affordable housing, you know, these programs can do whatever possible they can and there's still going to be this shortage until we start bridging the gap from both ends. So community-wise and then with the people in the community who are providing the resources and assistance. And if people want to learn more about Habitat and what you're doing, uh, how can they do that? 
Uh, they can go to our website at habitatlacrosse.org, and we also have information about our advocacy committee so you can see who some of our partners are um, and also take a look at some of the programs they might offer. Sam Jung is here. He's uh, with Kiyoshia. And uh, and uh, as 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 we mentioned off the top of the show, Sam uh, told us before we started recording that uh, Kiyoshia means hopeful. And uh, uh, Sam, what what are you doing uh, to to help people be more hopeful about home ownership? And how can people get in touch if they want to learn more? So this is our first year of uh, starting our uh, uh, housing program, and like um, I think this past year, I've been doing a lot of like. Uh, reaching out, building relationship with the community. Um, and a big part of what I've been doing is bridging uh, relationships with other organizations too. That way uh, our community can get accesses to the uh, other support that they need too. So um, that's a big part that I've been playing. Um, you know, as Hedy and also uh, Kaya also shared, they also do really good programs too, but then we also utilize these great programs that they have too. Uh, Shai, what about uh, the program, like you talked uh, in, in general uh, a lot about uh, about some of the issues facing people who would like to become homeowners. What about specific programs that people can become involved with uh, through Hope Restores? Wow, we have, <laughs> we have so many programs. Uh, we currently have over 19 different programs that are not all home specific. Um, they are, all, but they are all barrier specific. Every single one of our programs was designed with um, breaking a barrier in mind or breaking over a threshold or crossing over. So um, what what I would recommend for anybody that's interested in connecting with Hope Restores is to come to one of our coffees. Um, we do coffee with Hope Restores twice a month. The first Friday of the month, it is in person here at Hope Restores, and that's 231 Copeland Avenue here in La Crosse on the north side. And then the third Friday of the month, we do coffee virtually. So that's for anybody that's not able to make it. Both coffees take place at 830. But that really is just the best way to get involved. You know, we really we really believe in our mission and this hope mission. We have to learn how to do community better. And we have to really work on some of these relationships and the faith that we have in one another. It's amazing how powerful, you know, things things happen and how powerful we are as a people when we come together. And so on a lot of situations, we have the opportunity to go grassroots, you know, not everybody wants to be a homeowner. Some people just want a decent place to live that there's not rodents running around while they're sleeping over their, over their heads and feet, you know, and we've taken our opportunity at our grassroots copies to just say, Hey, um, if there's anybody in here that has any residential properties for rent or know of anyone, please reach out to us and let us know. You know, we might share the general overview of who this specific person is, but you would be surprised at how many people come forward and say, hey, actually, tell me more about that person, you know, and because they believe in what we're doing, they're willing to trust us to make that that connection and it's ended up being a really beautiful thing that we have. Um, you're, so you're on Copeland Avenue, uh, it's right at the bottom of the bridge, isn't it? Yep. Big Brown House right at the bottom of the viaduct. Okay. And if people want to visit your website, what's that? Hoperestoreswi.org. 
All right. Um, you you talked about some people are, are, are not even trying to be homeowners. They just want, you know, to not have like rodents crawling over, all over them or whatever. So let's switch gears and talk about uh, people who are just for one reason or another, either either not yet prepared or just not interested in homeownership and everything that goes along with that roof leaking, electric work, plumbing, ugh, maintenance. Um, so the, the, the cost of renting is just astronomical. I, there are people in my life who, who are currently, uh, looking for new living situations and it's just astounding to me how much money they spend on, on housing. And Kaya, you and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, uh, the the recommendation of how much somebody should spend, uh, how much of their gross income they should be spending on housing related co- costs is what? It's thirty percent of their gross income, and when we say gross, that's your income before any taxes or anything else is taken out of your paycheck. And the reality for most people is very different from that. Absolutely. So there's new statistics that came out for the state of Wisconsin regarding how many people are cost burdened on their housing, so they're paying more than at 30% of their gross income. Uh, collectively, it's one in eight pay more than 30% of their income. And so you think about walking into a grocery store and conning out every eight people. To give you an example, last year it was one in 10. So we're heading in a very bad direction as far as affordability of housing. But when you dive a little bit deeper into those numbers and talk about people who are earning less than $50,000 a year, and you specifically look at renters, it's 65% of renters in the state of Wisconsin earning less than $50,000 are paying more than 30% of their income. Now you can take a look at somebody who is extremely cost burdened. And so that's people who pay more than 50% of their gross income. So for every dollar that they earn, $1 is going to, or every $2 they earn, $1 is going towards housing. Um, 37% of renters under $50,000 a year are paying more than 50%. And those numbers are pretty consistent and actually can be quite higher in the city of La Crosse. So this is an aggregate across the state. When you talk about urban centers and, and cities, uh, they tend to have a higher rates. Um, and the so then the dollar amount that people need to make um, in order to afford two bedrooms anywhere in the state of Wisconsin is $18.56 an hour. And so when our minimum wage is $7.25, you can see that there's that's how that gap starts happening. And that's why, you know, when rents go up and our incomes don't follow, more and more people are finding it difficult to put that basic concept of a roof over their heads. They're a paycheck away from living on the streets. Or if they are finding housing they can afford, they're getting what shy is like very substandard, unsafe housing, which then leads to a myriad of other problems, including educational attainment and overall health. Um, and so it just spirals. So, you know, one of our basic needs is a roof over our head and we're, we're failing our communities. But I'm wondering, uh, Kaya, what, uh, what is it, uh, that's, that's driving this? I mean, I, lacrosse is not terribly unique. It's not, it's not like we're just full of predatory landlords that don't exist other places or anything like that. After all these, these people are not running charities. So like something is driving, that market to be that expensive at this time? What What is it? Do we know? Yeah, there's a variety of different things. You know, so the, the tax rate in the city of La Crosse is extremely high. You know, the, it's, it's the urban center. It's the hub of the services. So the cost um, for all of those things that we get as being a resident, so, you know, fire, police, roads, all of that stuff is a heavy burden in the city. And so property taxes are high. Um, we also have a very extremely low 
uh, value homes in the city of La Crosse. So we have a very high stock of homes that are valued um, at a very low amount, and they're also very old, so pr built prior to 1950. So you've got like a lot of low value homes that makes the taxes unfair across the board. Um, you also have um, a lot of people that choose to work within the city, but live outside of the city. So they're not paying property taxes within the municipalities that they work and use services. Um, and so that also creates a heavier burden on people living in the community. And then there's the supply and demand. You know, we have a very, very low vacancy rate for rentals in the city of La Crosse. And what that means is that, you know, with supply and demand, when you've got a high demand for rental units, that means that you can charge a higher price in order to meet that demand. And so when Hetty talks about there's a there's a lack of affordable housing, if you had more options for people, then, you know, then we would start seeing the market correct itself on how much people can actually charge. So, Hetty, when you uh, talk to people about uh, and see the circumstances that people are in uh, trying to find an affordable place to rent, what needs to happen? Uh, what who who needs to I, you can choose to call specific people, organizations out if you want to, but in, in broader terms, uh, is what I'm wondering, like what kinds of people need to be at the table and what action needs to be taken so that homes can be affordable for people to either rent or buy? Well, it goes back to the same things that we talked about earlier, because the, the rental vacancy rate that Kaya talked about, it's extremely low across Wisconsin. Wisconsin has about a 4% rental vacancy rate. Even the states around us, their rental vacancy rates are about 68%. Still low, but Wisconsin has historically had a much lower rental vacancy rate than surrounding states and the nation. Um, so we have, once again, a lack of housing in general. And so going back to we need to develop more housing, we need it to be affordable. And it's not just in La Crosse, it's surrounding communities as well. So it's supply, we have a supply issue, um, definitely. And we have to make sure that we have the right policies in place to allow developers to develop more high density housing that includes rental housing in the city. Um, when you have zoning rules that, you know, mandate single family housing or mandatory setbacks or lot sizes, this prevents the development of affordable rental housing, which is also needed. You need a nice mixture of housing in a community to serve every community member. You need single family houses, you need duplexes and triplexes, you need apartment buildings. That's how you have a healthy housing community. Um, and then, then there's the barriers. When, it, when you have a rental market that's this competitive, when you, you have people who may have barriers, like you know an inconsistent rental history, no credit, um, or other barriers, you know, landlords have a choice. And they're going to take an applicant with fewer barriers. That's that's good business, right? So, um, so then you have families who may have struggled, um, and so they're going to need a different solution. They they may need to have options built for them that do not have to rely on the private rental market. Um, and that's maybe a whole other show. But La Crosse County is working with nonprofit agencies like Cooley Cap and Catholic Charities to build a new rental market um, that, or, or I'm sorry, build new rental housing um, program um, that does not have to rely on the private rental market, but it's a project that's going to provide uh, 
no barrier rental housing for families that are experiencing homelessness. And these are families that were experiencing these barriers trying to rely on the private rental market, but they couldn't find housing. And so we we may have to also look at alternative models to the, the existing rental market that exists. So I'm I'm wondering again without without calling anybody in particular out on the carpet or assuming any ill will on their intent like how how much worse is this issue in a community where there are three institutions of higher learning like in a relatively small community tons of students uh renting uh places for you know 9 months out of the year uh and just creating all of that demand and and pushing uh you know, pushing other like families and so on out of the most central part of the city and and making all those prices, it seems in my mind, go up. Anybody want to tackle that one? Kaya? Well, I, I think there's definitely that's that's an issue. You know, you don't go into very many communities in which you have three fairly nice sized universities. Um, and so, you know, when, when a college student rents, they rent with their, you know, three buddies and they share the rent across four people. And so then it becomes more affordable. But when you're talking about a parent with children, you know, the children aren't paying rent. And so they have to, with their one income, be able to afford that housing. And so, yes, definitely that the, the rental housing in the community is definitely impacted by the universities that we have in the area. And again, you know, the universities are, their hubs are in centralized areas where there's access to downtown and whatnot, and those are getting kind of taken up by college students. And so it is definitely one of the things that also kind of plays into the idea of nimbyism that we have in our communities. And so a lot of people don't want college students in, in their family neighborhoods and so I'm, when they see I'm going to interrupt you there and ask you to yeah. explain nimbyism because I followed you but I'm I'm not sure everybody oh, yeah, heard absolutely. that the way I did. So we talked about this before like people will hear about affordable housing and they will check the box and say I am 100% affordable housing until you start talking about affordable housing in their neighborhoods and so we talk about it as nimby not in my backyard. So you can understand and, and feel the concept of affordable housing except not not next to me. And I think a lot of uh, families have that feeling like I don't want a, a big old apartment unit with college students in my backyard. And so when they see affordable housing coming up, they, they automatically think it's going to be, you know, kegger parties in the front yard. And so they stand against it. And what they're doing is they're standing against, you know, families that are struggling and working full time and making wages and doing the best that they can. But they're getting moved out of the market because of this supply and demand issue. So I, I want to talk about um, next steps um, for for the community from each of your perspectives. Uh, let's start with Sam. Uh, Sam, from from your point of view, what what needs to happen next to to uh, to create more opportunity for people to live in homes, either renting or buying homes that they can afford. Yeah, I feel like whenever that that question comes up, it's like so much things out of my control. But then I like because a lot of times we are the people renting, right? Um, but I think that what needs to happen is I don't know if there's a way to control how high the rent can go, right? Because I don't think it's gonna drop down anytime soon, or I've never heard of it dropping down or going down, right? And I always worry about families being like forced to move out, right? And I think that um that is one of my biggest worries right and 
I think when I first talked about this too, I was, I think um, a big part of the Hmong population too is that they will have access to these two things, these not knowing, understanding these things too, right? So I think a big part of it is like um, connecting with them, sharing the word out to them too, so that way they know about these kind of stuff too that are happening. I think that right now we're just, they're just kind of stuck, right? But then um, I think that like, you know, if there's a way to build more housing, I think that'd be opportunity for people to like live. Um, yeah. Hetty, what about you? Who, what, what conversation needs to happen? What effort needs to be undertaken that is not yet being undertaken? Well, I think there are a lot of efforts that have promised. I think the advocacy committee that Kaya mentioned earlier through Habitat for Humanity is really promising because we have a lot of the key players at the table, and hopefully we can make some sound policy changes through that work. Um, that's going to spur development, um, which is really necessary. But obviously, across our entire region, we need more development to happen. We need to increase the supply of housing. Um, and then we need to just reduce barriers for people. And that may take applying different models or different approaches that are different for our community. I mentioned the family bridge housing model that uses more of the nonprofit rental market versus the private rental market to house families with barriers to housing. There's also, um, you know, we, we have a community land trust, which is a program that uh, ensures housing that is sold to families stays affordable in perpetuity no matter how many times it's sold. So there are different housing models that can be um, not only utilized, but then expanded throughout the region to build uh, affordable housing, but make sure that that housing stays affordable. Shy, from your perspective, uh, what what do we need to do to create more opportunities uh, for for either specifically the the people that that Hope Restores serves, or more broadly other other people in the community interested in home ownership and affordable housing, what what uh, what needs to happen next? Um, I agree with Hetty. Hetty, sorry, completely. I think it's going to take some out of the box thinking. I think it's going to take um, some courage to get creative with with how we go about things. You know. For me, I personally believe that a lot of the issues and things that we're having is very much so um, systems driven. You know, when there is a kink or a break in the system, instead of going in and ripping it all apart and starting all over, we say, okay, here's a patch, here's a patch. Um, instead of, you know, just going in and trying something completely different. And so we tend to be so afraid to take on a model that's new and could very well work. And instead of doing that, we hang on to this thing that we know doesn't work, that we know that there's holes in the bucket and we continue to to hope and pray that everything's going to work out. Um, but if, for me, I think that's, that's the next step. It's going to, it's going to take a courageous, it's going to take a courageous, um, plan to come together and say, okay, we're going to try this and no one's going to point any fingers. Let's see how this goes because we know what's not working and we know how good we are at failing in this area. So if nothing else, let's try to fail over here with a best, a best interest in mind, if that makes any sense at all. I mean, I know it sounds so very utopic and just kind of, um, ignorant about the whole thing. But my thought is, is that 
what we have now in place is not working. So really, what do we have to, to, to lose, you know? So I'm definitely with Hattie on got to try different things. We just have to try different things. Well, you hear so many people repeat that, uh, that uh, I, I don't know where it originated, but that definition of insanity, about, about the definition of insanity being doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So yeah, that's an interesting point that you make, Shy. Uh, Kaya, what what uh, what do you want to see happen next? What uh, what needs to be the next development in the conversation about affordable housing? So I, you know, I, obviously, I agree with everything that Sam and Shy and Hetty have said. And so the the thing that I would say is, you know, to the people listening to the show, really figure out how you can get involved. I think we all feel a little scared of government, whether it's at the local, state, or federal level. Uh, it feels unattainable, untouchable, um, but it's not. You know, there's really, really great ways that you can interact and let your voice be heard um, regarding issues like affordable housing and access to your fellow citizens. You know, these are your neighbors. These are the people you work with. These are the people you interact with when you go out to the, you know, to the eat. You know, we need to make sure that all of the citizens in our communities, at the end of the day, they're going to bed in a home that's safe and affordable, that's good for their children, that's good for their educational attainment, that's good for our community. Because affordable and right-sized housing in our community is good for everybody, every single person. And so if we can learn how to uplift our voices, to go to uh, you know city council meetings and talk about things that are on the ballot that relate to affordable housing and show your support, go to different uh, listening sessions that the city has and, and talk about what you want to see in your neighborhoods join your neighborhood associations, speak up, speak out, share things with your friends and family about why this is important. And then just be that voice in your community that's there to uplift and and give hope to the fellows in your community. Kaya Fox is with Habitat for Humanity Lacrosse Area. Kaya, thanks a lot for being here on Newsmakers. We have uh, talked. We've been talking to Hetty Brown as well, the executive director of Cooley Cap. Sam Jong from Kiyoshia, uh, he's a housing advocate there, and Shai Jackson, the co-founder and executive director of Hope Restores. I appreciate all of them uh, being on the program today. If you missed part of our conversation and would like to hear it again, you can find it online along with all the rest of our shows. WPR.org/newsmakers. That's WPR.org/newsmakers. And if you have a question. Uh, or a concern you'd like us to address in a future program, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at newsmakers at WPR.org. Our producer is Kate Spranger, and I'm Ezra Wall, asking you to join us again next time for another Newsmakers right here on Wisconsin Public Radio.